What's up, everybody? Metal Dave here, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster, bringing you another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. Today, we are joined by vocalist Paul Scalrin. You may know him best from the band Noisy Mama. They had a record out in 1991 on Atco Records called Everybody Has One. And uh, Paul has been busy since 1991 doing various music projects. So we talked to him about that, where he is today. Uh, he's actually sort of rejuvenated Noisy Mama, has a show coming up in April. Uh, I think he's working on some new music. So we'll see if we get a second resurgence of Noisy Mama. Um, if you haven't heard of him before, you can find their hit single, Heart of Stone, is on YouTube. You can find it there. And I bet once it's, you listen to it, you're going to go, I've heard that song before. It's, it's the old MTV video that you're going to be directed to. So, yeah. Um, and I bet you, and I bet you'll go, Oh yeah, I remember that. It song. was probably on headbangers ball yep. uh, f- quite a few times. And, uh, they're a band from Youngstown, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of you might not have ever heard of Youngstown, Ohio, but now you have. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not exactly the hotbed of, uh, rock and roll, but, uh, well, you I, could say the same thing about Sealands Grove, Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. That's where Dirty Looks is from. So, right, ish, right. So, yeah. So, 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 no, no points taken off if you've never heard of Youngstown, Ohio, as being a breeding ground for rock bands. But uh, Noisy Mama did come from Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, they did sign with a major. They did get a video on MTV. Uh, they had a song on the radio, Heart of Stone, uh, and and it was good stuff. I think it was overlooked because it came out in '91. You know, as Everyone listening to the show is aware grunge started coming in and taking over and and bands of of that era and that ilk kind of got pushed to the wayside. But in quick synopsis, if you've never heard of Noisy Mama, I've mentioned to Paul on the show that I hear shades of Cinderella. I hear shades of Great White. I hear shades of a band called Johnny Crash. Uh, In fact, I think uh, Paul's voice sounds very much like uh, Vicky James Wright from Johnny Crash. So if you're a fan of any of those bands and you're not aware of Noisy Mama, you might want to check it out. Yeah, I feel uh, like they were like a, a a bluesier, packed more of a punch, kind of a party band. And not yes. all of the songs have that. I mean, it sounds like I just, you know, uh, described Poison or something. But no. or or even Van Halen, right? Yeah. So so when you think about Van Halen, if you if you pour ACDC all over it, it's it's pretty much what it feels like. And the players are no slouch. They're not slouches. They can they're playing their asses off. Um, we found out today. I wasn't quite sure the connection with uh, the late great James Kotak on drums, who James recently passed. Um, as well as uh, uh, the bass, some of the bass was done by Jeff Pilson, who's known for Dokken and a thousand other things. Right, uh, came in and did three tunes uh, for the for the label demos. Right, right. Uh, and then um, had their they rest rest of the band. The rest is history. But this guy has a this Paul Scourin has a great story, and uh, it was awesome getting to hear it. Uh, A to Z today here on the Talk Louder podcast. I've been listening to uh, your record, uh, your former record, 1991, I believe this is, uh, Noisy Mama. Everybody everybody has one. Uh, Great overlooked record. Um, Take us back to that time and... And, and tell us about the creation of that album. You were on a major label, Atco, um, and you had a, you had the single was on MTV. So you know you had some traction. Things were going. Um, take us back to that time. Tell us about that era, and then in in maybe in your opinion, why did things not take off? Well, I think that first of all, we we started as White Noise, and uh, that was all the way in '82 when I joined that project and it worked its way up to finally getting um atco to come out and see us uh at that point we you know did our we actually opened up for donnie iris and uh mark ross from atco came down and and um they signed us 
uh, right there in 89-90. And we just um, basically moved to New York City. Uh, three of us, actually, the two guitar players, Jimmy Gamina and Dave Scott and I, uh, moved on to 55th Street, and we started writing the record. Yeah. So uh, after that, you know, we we um, started looking at different producers, different, uh, you know, just trying to uh, grasp what we were doing, where we were going, and everything like that. What? Uh, why the name change? Because you were White Noise, and then when this album came out, you were suddenly Noisy Mama. What was the reason for that? I actually, um, I got I got fired from the band for, uh, for for time because I lost my voice. It 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 went away, and um, at that point, I really didn't know enough about vocalizing to, I guess you know have have a grip on it. I went took some amazing vocal uh, lessons with uh, Doctor Vogel from Dana School of Music. Um, put my band together, Motherload. So then uh, they had actually brought in a guy named Paul Naboo, which I called my evil twin, which, you know, he he was a fantastic songwriter, great, great uh, front man. And so we had White Noise and we had Motherload. And actually, Paul Naboo was the one who called me and said, he said, hey, Moose, this this thing ain't burning bright and blue with with me i got you you got you got to join the band again so so they actually the their singer called me and i went back into the band and the first night out as kind of as a joke we decided not to call it white noise so we called it noisy mama just put the two names together mother load and and white noise there you go yeah there it was yeah, yeah dur during your during you telling that story i was hearing the band names and then you kind of moving around and dance and sway and i'm i'm going wait a minute and white noise mother load starting yeah. to feel that as you're telling the story that's that's good i like it when it when it kind of works out that way i i always thought noisy mama was a great uh band name and i think that that title everybody has one uh is intriguing and has enough guessing game going on it's like well everyone's got a fucking asshole <laughs> and, and, you know and yeah, everyone, yeah. not everyone has a dog or a cat but everyone's got an asshole so yeah well Norton, you know it's funny because when we were white noise jimmy's mom and carl's mom you know both of them were italian so they would really you know they they would take care of us you know they would feed us we i always said i would walk into one of the, their homes and food would would automatically the refrigerator door would open and here comes the food man bam onto the table automatically so you know we we thought of our mothers too and and um yeah the, the noisy mama thing the label really loved it and i was quite happy to just be there and start working on it well i didn't i wasn't calling anybody's mother an asshole <laughs> <laughs> but everyone has a mother too you better not yeah. no <laughs> yeah yeah well, it's a term, know, of, a term of endearment at best. So. Yeah, on this yeah. show anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we're, we're all pretty happy going guys here. So Yeah. So wow. the album came out in 91 and, and we all know the, the musical tides were shifting at that time. And, and I feel like, you know, uh, based on the sound of, of the band and the record, um, you guys were probably... Is it safe to say a victim of timing? Uh, because I think if this album came out in 88, you know, 89 even, uh, it might have, you know, made a little more a noise. Maybe, noise. Even, yeah. maybe <laughs> even a few years even earlier than that. Yeah. Six or yeah. Because uh, I, you know, I was going to comment on Paul's vocal style. I When I listen to it, I hear... Um, there's parts where I hear Tom Kiefer, so there's some Cinderella in here. But the guy that stands out to me that I thought of immediately was Vicky James Wright from Johnny Crash. Uh, and so I feel like there's a there's a sound there's an element of the sound of Noisy Mama that would have been right at home, as Jason says, in maybe eighty six, eighty seven, eighty nine, somewhere in that span. Those I, I feel if I may comment before, I want to get Paul's opinion, of course, but. I feel like there was like this class of 89 that was doomed. It was like, you know, it, it, it was like, well, 
Let's go ahead. Right. Since the guns are doing so good, let's go ahead and throw a bunch of money at these bands that are doing the same kind of thing. And of course, in, in their eyes, it was going to work. And we were, I'll speak for myself along for the ride. And, you know, this is fleeting. This is not going to last very long. So I'm going to live it up and write the best, you know, cock rock song I can and get on as many tours as I can and meet as many people as I can, because you don't know when this is going to end. And this would have been right around the time that your record came out 1991 is that right oh yeah we were actually uh we had released you know heart of stone on mtv and uh that was our first single um we kind of wanted to do long way home first which was our you know ballad slash anthem song yeah so we're jimmy and i were actually on a radio tour during you know that time singing long way home getting ready to to make a video for that and release it and all of a sudden our atco rep was like not there and then he's on the phone you know which there were no cell phones back then so he's he's back in the office of the radio station he's talking to people all of a sudden you know we says what what's going on here and he says uh well atco just merged with east west records and um i have no idea what's going to happen so there it was well, and also there was another style of music more popular. Mm -hmm. Like Absolutely. all of a sudden there was, you know, the dollar bill was flying another direction. So a lot of A&R people, a lot of labels as on top of the mergers that were happening around that time. And a lot of oh, bands yeah. were already on the road and had already had a record out and that was happening while they were, you know, they were, it was Spinal Tap. They were showing up to, to in stores and shit and signings and shit. And there's no product because the mergers, I mean, they're, they're calling shit off the shelf so they can repackage it and put it back out there. And by that time, I think half of the bands who got signed in 87, 88 and, and had a record out summer 89 and went on, or even later and went on the road, they, the labels were like, and why, why, you know, why make us another record with these guys? If, uh, if, if they're, if they're, you know, uh, the other likenesses are not selling and, you know, the obvious are that, you know, bands from Seattle are, are a trend now, which I think bands from Seattle hated being a trend after a while, they were happy to, to be successful, but I think they were also like, kind of punk rock and sort of, you know, hoping, hoping they would be able to have some stamina in the business and not be a flash. And some of them were a flash, just like some of yeah. the cock rock bands too. So it's kind of interesting how that panned out. Um, it was kind of, you know, no one knew where that business was going to go. Do you have any opinions about that era? And, you know, you say you were doing a radio tour and pushing a record, and then all of a sudden your A and R guys not in the room anymore, and start re re refer re retell that story and go further with it. Well, again, I, you know, I know music had has to change and and evolve. I just wish it would have waited another year. But because <laughs> long way both, home, buddy, <laughs> you and me both. Yeah, Jason, just, just Jason. for a second. I mean, come yeah. on, you know, we just put out this fucking record because, hey, yeah. I put Jason, a record out please. in 91, too. And it was like, meh, you know, that was kind of <laughs> how, how it was received by the the tastemakers, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, I couldn't I, find again, his A&R guy either. Yeah, my A&R was <laughs> some 20 year old kid. You know, I was like, who are you? Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, it, I would say that, you know, again, music had to change. Um, I, I think the stuff was not my cup of tea, but, but you know, great in, in, in many ways, you know, Nirvana. And, and in fact, I remember when we were shopping to do our first video and, you know, they show you a bunch of producers and, and, and a bunch of videos that have been, you know, done by them. And I'm looking at this video and there's a cow in it. And I'm like, what? where's all the girls you know there's <laughs> what there, there's a cow in this movie yeah or in this video and here it's man in the box and that's that was my first inkling and i really didn't know i i just was being a lead singer trying to write songs and and tour and, and everything like that 
That's good. I think that the, I never even thought about that until you say it, you know, there's a cow and there's no girls. Well, that <laughs> could relate to, and this is maybe far-fetched, that could relate to something I said a second ago about how, it, you know, we're, we're changing the landscape by not having all these slutty looking girls in a rock video shaking their you know, butts around and uh, looking like we're in a titty bar having you know, doing shots of Jack Daniels. It was a completely different, dirtier coming from. Ah, maybe they felt like it was artistic, but it was maybe another side of anything that's you know, girls, girls, girls. We are not mm -hmm. anything with like leotards and big hair. We're we're gonna not do that. And I I want to say that the directors who were making videos were also on board with trying something different because, you know, I don't know who made your videos, but it could have been, I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm not throwing rocks here, but it could have been the same guy that made my videos, the same guy that made the Cinderella videos, the same guy that made the poison videos. And they all started to look, you know, neon and girls and blah, and you know, the band in a bar doing shots. And it's like, yep, that, that all was, went away. That was and now all, it's all coming, it's all coming back now, though. <laughs> I mean, people want to, you know, M3 in a way, and all this stuff in, in, a, in, a, in a way, but see, it's nostalgic time, right? That's a nostalgic thing because here we are in our 50s and 60s, and some even older, writing songs about our dicks, and it's kind of. I ain't got no dick anymore, you know, <laughs> kind of like, you know, you gotta be, you gotta, you gotta be, it's, you have to, you have to be able to make fun of yourself. Uh, always. It, yeah, always. Exactly. Even if always. you're, and I feel like bands like ACDC and Aerosmith, they were making fun of when they were writing songs that had all the innuendos and everything, they've been making fun of themselves the entire time. And I think Correct. that that's important. And when, a lot of, I hate the term hair metal, but all that shit became uh, a parody of itself. You know, it started eating itself and it's like, it, ah, this is too sugary and this is too, too bright. And this is too, it started to even feel that way for me. I'll, I'll speak for myself when I say that. It started to kind of feel that way for me. Right. When that I was following any other trends, it was just like, man, this is starting to look the same all the time it doesn't just put a different band name on the photo you know it just got weird for for a minute how do you feel about that and what what was your idea to to move on um well i'll tell you this much i was tired of being poor so you know i mean <laughs> amen to so, that you got to eat yeah i mean i you know i had um it, after we were done with Noisy Mama, we we put a record out, Hounds of Desire, um, Balls, which, you know, that Interscope record had heard one of our songs called Nervous Breakdown, Baby. And this guy, you know, he approached our managers and they're like, we were still trying to make something happen. And, uh, you know, we did a whole record based on that song because we were actually writing some really cool breakthrough stuff that was not you know, tits and ass and everything like that. It was more like, you know, deeper lyrics and, and yeah. that was, you know. that's the answer I was looking for. You started to grow up a little bit. Yep. You almost yep. had, you almost had no choice because of the comments I said a little while ago, you're not 19 years old anymore with a heart on you've, yep. you've, your dog's been run over it a hundred times and you're pissed off or you have these emotions that you've never, that you feel when you're 30, 40, 50 and older that you don't have any fucking idea what that's all about when you're writing songs about, you know, race cars and head banging, you know? Mm -hmm. so. Right. And, and uh, like we were, um, we, we called it the foundry and it was a little mini studio we had. We were up there really, I mean, digging deep, uh, we wrote a song called Strength, Love, Faith, which I, I to this day, want to I want to play it live again because it was just so cool. And it was hev heavy, powerful, but it had great lyrics. But when um, Interscope came around, we we wrote a whole nother hard rock record, which actually rocks a lot harder than everybody has one. I mean, it was it was heavy. Um, but 
the guy that, that approached us, he really didn't have the clout. He he couldn't make it happen. Mm. And that was about the that was about the end of it right there. So I um, you know, we we decided to part company and and um Jimmy moved to New York and uh Dave moved to Arizona and uh Chris moved back to Boston and Tommy went back to Cleveland and uh we just we just that was it, you know. I moved along. I I I started a company uh, an artistic it's called artistic concepts and um did that for for a good long while now and now i'm back in it again i'm 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 wanting to retire again as a musician and and do whatever i can producing or or writing with people or performing while i can i mean i won't perform when i start sucking i'll be done performing okay but i'm still able to do it and that's what m3 showed me i mean Doing that show kind of opened my eyes to, okay, first of all, people want to hear this music again. Second of all, you know, it's out there, it's available, and I could still do it. So I, I was quite happy those guys gave me that shot. Here's a, here's a I'm question. sorry, Dave. What Real quick, what year was it that that, that kind of, I don't want to say fizzled, but those, you know, you were kind of like, you made 93. a record. and 93, okay. 93, right. 94. Yeah. Okay. That was that was about, you know, the end of it. And we were done. And Jimmy and I actually, you know, we worked together afterwards on um, a band. Uh, we had put a band together called Ether and we did a um, a demo with or a, a, an EP basically with that. And we, we kept working together sparsely. You know, I would fly up to New York and we would write and we would, you know, and those songs are all still sitting waiting to be performed again or, or something to be done with them. Yeah. Here's a question for both of you, since you were both in the game around the same time. And I, I wasn't going to ask this question. It wasn't on my list of questions, but I'm hearing hints of this uh, throughout the conversation. So we're talking about an era of music that, you know, basically went away and was replaced by something else. And now you're talking about, you know, there's things like M3, uh, there's the Monsters of Rock Cruise, there there are events that sort of celebrate this era of music. And we were talking earlier, and you guys were both mentioning that the audience for that type of music tends to be people our age, guys and girls that are in their 40s and 50s or whatever. So my question to you guys is, because we just had a young uh, metal band on the show, a band called Fugitive, and they're they're young thrash metal dudes, and they're seeing sort of a, they, they're they young enough to speak to this. They, they're seeing, and we're seeing, an audience that sort of goes back and celebrates the Metallicas and the Panteras and the Slayers, um, and these are young kids that grew up on to a, a generation or two beyond those bands. They mm -hmm. were into heavy music, but they're going back and they're finding the forefathers, if you will. So do you see any opportunity for younger kids to go back and rediscover Dangerous Toys, Noisy it, Mama? It's it's already Toys. happening. Yeah, it's happening. It's, it's, it's happening, happening and it's been happening. And and you, you're saying uh, M3 and, and, there, and there's other festivals as well, but... Uh, of course, Monsters of Rock, and then the Monsters of Rock uh, production people throw a, a festival in Tennessee called, it used to be called Monsters on the Mountain, now it's just called the Monster, I'm sorry, the Mountain Festival. Right. Um, and it's the same ilk, you know, it's to, to, to be general, it's just hard rock and metal bands from the 80s that, that had records out that at least charted and had a couple of marginal hits on MTV. That's pretty much what they're asking yeah. for. Very few younger, young or, or bands sort of on the rise get on the bill. Uh, and they, they have some kind of nepotism going on or something is yeah. how they get on the bill. But anyway, the, the point is uh, it's a great question the point that I was going to add to your suggestion as maybe why uh, it's happening for, you know, in heavier music, uh, because it is, there's a lot of young people. I see it all the time. They is heavier and they also collect vinyl. You know, there's all mm -hmm. these 17, 18, 19 year old kids who collect vinyl and even younger as Dave knows, he has a son who's all about it. But the point, serious radio, satellite radio, has a lot to do 
and, and you know, and the DJs that have shows on any kind of, you know, Ozzy's Boneyard or whatever, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they do the same thing with uh, heavier music. I don't know the names of all of them. Liquid Metal, I think, is one of them. There's a bunch of like satellite radio stations that basically won't let this these catalogs die. But what I'm asking is, are kids embracing it? Like 15 yeah. year olds and 16 year olds. This the is the way they listen to music. So right, yes, right. they're finding it because this is the way of the child. Right, but and is their preference, what, what I'm asking is, is there a younger generation whose preference is, I know it's available, but are they tuning in? Are you seeing it? Paul, are you seeing it? Um, Jason, I know you've seen some of it, but is there an audience out there of 15, 16 year old kids who are all of a sudden into rat and poison and Motley Crue and dangerous toys? And I would say yes. I would say, um, all right, for first, we did our our first Noisy Mama show, okay? Um, We did, you know, back on July 1st. Uh, it was, it was, I put it together quick. I, I booked a, a club that only seats like 300 people. And I just wanted to see what would happen. You know, uh, we put it out there on the internet. We tried to target, you know, as many different sites as we could. And I would say we had at least 25% of the people were young people that I had never met in my life. Some of them came with their parents, I, I would say, but uh, in a lot of, in a lot of ways, I really feel that, um, they they were tired of being uh, depressed by you know grunge music because it's kind of depressing if you think about it. Yeah. And you know, I think you know I again I I don't really put any music down because I think all music is great as long as long as it's a good song I'm there. You know, Midnight at the Oasis, love it. You know, I love uh, some rap and things like that. But I think even rap, you know that's kind of hard on the ears after a certain point. They just want to hear some melodic hard rock. It's powerful chords. So I'd say, yes, I think it's growing. It's up to us to, to put it out there to them, to make them know it's there. Yeah. To add, to add to that, I see it on the cruise. I see young people everywhere on the cruises and they are there with their families who are all wearing motorhead t-shirts and shit right right here's their 14 15 year old sons and daughters also wearing a motorhead (laughs) t-shirt so Uh they're they're walking around wanting to do photos with you and it's like you know i don't i used to go wow this is really weird these little kids wanting to take their photos and you know sign shit it's like how did you hear about oh here's my brother and here's my dad we're all totally into it man our house is rocking all the time and Here's a story that's also relative. I used to work at a record store, and this was a while ago now. There was a guy come in. He was a fairly young man, and he comes in, and he goes, you know, he he might have been 30, 28, right. you know, something like that. Uh, you know, and I offered to help him. Can I help you find something? And and he was like, uh, he was like I think that you can because here's my thing. And you mentioned rap, and you also mentioned that grunge is depressing. Well, you could say Black Sabbath is depressing, and you could say Black Sabbath also has that dirge like a lot of grunge did, too. So true, so true. So that doesn't really uh, resonate with me as much, but your point holds truth. So this this is also relative. This young man asked me, he, he tells me the story. He goes, man, my my littles, my, my kids walk around singing songs I play when I'm in the car and I like hardcore gangster rap. Mm-hmm. So they're saying bitches and hoes and Uzi and this, and I, I, I cut a bitch and blah, blah. And they're like, you know, 11. So they're going to school and they're all, yo, yo, bitch and ho. And you know, they're all, it's that kind of shit. Now I, I know that all of it doesn't, I like a lot of that stuff, but the stuff I usually like doesn't just resonate just with bitches, hoes and Uzis and, and money and drugs and shit. Right. Uh, it's deeper than that even, but the, his point was, I gotta, I gotta start listening to something else. If I'm going to be somewhat of an influence on my, my kids. And I'm like, what do you think is the answer? He goes, man, I want to get back into my hard rock and metal. I'm like, you've come to the right place. 
<laughs> well, vinyl because, too is vinyl is also a big part of that, like you said. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, vinyl's never going to go away. In my opinion, it never really did go away because there were still a lot of clubs, like even dance clubs, where they had legit DJs who were still spinning vinyl. That's one outlet that it's not. It, they just didn't shut them all down. That that was like that's hysterical. You know, mm-hmm. that's hysteria for them to say something like that. And they're just trying to find a reason why the the music business is not as uh, growing fruit anymore. You know, right. and it was just a lull and a, and a fad and a phase and a trend. And, and it's it's just never going to go away again. Um, but anyway, so that story sort of lends itself to what's happening in the household what what serious sat, satellite radio and all of the thousands of stations there's fucking podcast about anything you want you can hear any song you want if you find the right station so i it's think that true. that's kind of lending itself to to that era specific thing that maybe someone like you and i and even and even dave are not really grown you know it's like it was like, oh, well, your record's not selling. We're going to drop you from the label. It's like, oh, do you want me to write some grunge songs? <laughs> not necessarily. You know, you don't just like, the, oh, well, the kids aren't wearing this shit, so I'm just going to buy whatever. The kid, I don't, I don't, my clothes are old because no one at my in my class is dressing like this anymore, so I'm just going to start wearing, dressing like them. Fuck no. Where's your individuality? Where is you fighting the fight and wearing the kiss t-shirt every fucking day? That's still me. That's never going to go away. So I'm not waiting for anyone to join my army. There's plenty of us out there. That's, that's my rant. So tell me about the, uh, the cruises. Cause I'm, I'm trying to embark on that myself. Um, we actually in, my noisy mama configuration right now uh billy morris who played with warren mm-hmm. he's one of the guitar players cool and i got and and he's doing um he's doing one with tough which okay. you know yeah. they, so yeah. so I, i've never done that but i really would like to get into that my drummer tommy just came back from a, he played with um uh a, on a blues cruise he just mm-hmm. just called me this morning he got back and finally out you know off of that but but those things are uh, a gas, man. It looks like they're fun and they're and they're, you know, people. Like, he says some people go three or four times a year. They they oh, don't yeah. just go once, you know. Oh, they book them all. Some of them don't even get off the boat. They just change the banner. So you got Monsters of Rock Cruise with all this, you know. For I'm generalizing, '80s metal, you know, Armored Saint, except Queens Reich, you know, but Cinderella and Tesla and whoever, right? Uh. But but then but then I'll I'll be like hey so where, where are you what time's your flight oh no we're staying on the boat I'm like what he goes yeah they're the Moody Blues cruise and you know my dad's with us and he likes them so we just decided to stay on with him and we're we're gonna keep our cabin and everything we're just keeping the same I'm like holy shit you're gonna be on a boat for like three weeks and they go yep how fat is your wallet. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, you're going to probably spend that on any kind of vacation. You know, between yeah. three and six grand, you're going to spend that on any vacation. Yeah, I mean, it, again, it's 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 a great experience. I think, and people love it. And that's yeah. M3 is the same way. The, the same people, you know, not the same people, but there's a lot of people that go every single year. There, they make sure that they're already yeah. ready to go the next year. They yeah. don't even get, know who's going to be on it, you know. Uh, you know, getting getting on one of those, we can we can talk about off off camera, but it's it's not like where do I send my press kit? They don't they don't really do that. So gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So cool, Paul, man. I want to go back and and I definitely want to get to some of your you know I want to get to Resurrection Road, but I I want to go back to uh, the Noisy Mama album uh, because uh, I I've been sort of revisiting it knowing that we were going to talk to you today and i want to give you some credit because i think it was an overlooked album and as you alluded to earlier uh to me there's a great mix of of music on here you've got your rockers of course you are a rock band but there's there's some other textures and flavors in here uh you mentioned long way home i thought for sure I mean, that that could have been as big as any, you know, arena 80s arena power ballad of the day. Um, Million Miles, you know, a little more acoustic based. 
mm-hmm. another great song. Uh, again, I, you sort of reminded me, and I'm saying this for the benefit of our listeners who may not have heard of you and might want to go check you out. I, I hear sort it's of an unsung diver- record. Yeah, I hear the, I hear the yeah. diversity of sort of like a Cinderella, a band that could rock, but also a band that could, you know, do some piano stuff, some acoustic stuff, some very blues based stuff. Um, so I wanted to give uh, give you some credit for not just being a one trick pony here. And people may not have heard the record, but if you're a fan of Cinderella, Great White, you know, Tesla bands that kind of had a foot in each sort of camp, you or know, even just ACDC. Yeah, 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 and and I had mentioned Johnny Crash earlier. I think that's a great example too. Uh, but it was a really uh, well done record, and I think there's some good material on there. And so, for the benefit of our viewers and listeners who may not have heard you, I w- I would ask them to go check it out and give it a chance. I wanted to ask you about the artwork. This artwork is done by Ed Big Daddy Roth, who's famous right for, famous for creating the Rat Fink character. And if you're into hot rod culture, you know very well what the Rat Fink uh, character is. And I think that style of art uh, can be seen on other album covers or variations of it. I know our friend Chris Gates from Junkyard is a big fan Mm -hmm. of Rat Fink, and he's done some illustrations like this. Tell us how you got Roth involved in doing the album cover. Well, the label, uh, you know, we were trying to come up with what would be what would represent the 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 funness of our shows our live shows the the crazy you know and and somebody just one day said you know remember mad magazine and uh yeah yeah boom you know it's like they they approached him and he had done a few album covers so but the funny thing about him was you know we came up we came upon him we approached him he said yeah when they went to pay him they sent him a check. He's like, I, I can't use this. You know, I, I, what is this? I don't know what this is, you know, send me money. So they had to send a courier over with whatever they were paying him to do that. Wow. And I, I thought that was pretty cool. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I would never have thought reading Mad Magazine when I was 15, 13, whatever, that there, there would happen like that. But that was just... Um, someone at the label that just came up with that idea and it, and it stuck really well. It's a really cool album cover. I mean, obviously Roth's artwork is always great, but uh, I love the colors. I, I think it represents you well. There's a female driving the, the hot rod. So of course the noisy mama name plays into it. It's really cool. I had to ask you about that because I think it, it's a standout album cover. And, and one other thing I wanted to, to let you guys know, because you were talking about the diversity of some of the songs we yeah, have. Yeah, please. Our, our, the piano playing was done by Nicky Hopkins. Yeah, I saw that. How did yeah, you get that, Nicky Hopkins involved? Now, for I, people who don't know the name Nicky Hopkins, of course, he's probably most famous for playing with the Stones, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and I know he did some work on a Faster Pussycat record, and they were stoked to have him. So getting him is a big score. How did that happen? Uh, I think our manager, Roger Probert, you know, he was a, he was a guy, Englishman, he knew a lot of different people in New York and, um, you know, that's how we also, we had Mick Rock take, take photos of us. So we, we had some good connections with him and, uh, that's kind of how that came about, but just watching him that day. I mean, I, I just love being a part of it and just watching it, you know? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you're in the room with royalty, so that that's, right. that's a great experience for you. What would you say was your biggest shot at glory during the the noisy mama days? Did you have a did you go on any big arena tours opening for somebody, one of your heroes or anything? Or uh, did you get a magazine article that, you know, is a is a prized possession of yours? What what would be the highlight or highlights, plural, of this time with Noisy Mama, nineteen ninety one after the album comes out? Well, our tour was not um, a big tour, okay? We we were traveling in a van, not even a bus, and uh, we we roughed it out. I, I don't know if that was, uh, you know, because of where things were heading with music or whatever. But, you know, just actually being, doing the video was, was probably the high point. Being on MTV, um, that says a lot right there you know when i'm when i'm gone that'll still be out there somewhere 
So yeah. That's yeah. probably it for me. Yeah. I, I've said this to Jason many times. It's like, I, I'm always envious of guys who are going to leave a piece of their selves behind the day that they're gone because you've made your mark, you know? Um, I also wanted to ask you, uh, uh, I lost it now. It was something else. Um, oh, Dave's brain. My name is <laughs> my my name is Dave. So of course that song title caught my attention. You, you lost what? your brain there for a second though. So where where was Dave's brain? Dave's now? brain is gone. That's yeah. what it is. Dave's yeah. brain's brain not is here, gone. man. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> well done, Jason. Uh, well, I was just working with what I, I was just working with what I had to what work I with out there. Chum Thank in the you, water, Dave. Chum in the water, right? Uh, well, I will tell you right now, that was completely written about our guitar player, Dave Scott, and he had a way of daving you, okay? We we experienced it many times. He'd say, you know, we'd be talking about something, and he'd say, that's like getting a gorilla, giving him a candy bar and telling him to walk backwards. <laughs> what? We would be like... Our heads were like, you know, bulging. Then one time he said something and we were at his house at Brady Lake and there was a minor earthquake right after he said it. Like you could feel the house shaking a little bit. We're like, oh. so that's how Dave Bray came out. I mean, it, it was like, yeah, uh, you know, barking. And and his, you know, his his girlfriend, you know, they had a tumultuous life sometimes. So we kind of just, I just blended all that kind of stuff together with him and you know, that's that's where that came from, for sure. Tell me cool. about Little Brown Jug. What's the inspiration behind that? Uh, that would be uh, living in New York City, drinking every single day. I mean, you know, writing, drinking, drinking, writing. Um, we hardly ever played live when we were doing that because we when we got signed, only three of us got signed. Mm -hmm. So me and the two guitar players, we moved up to New York City and our managers had a uh, an apartment up there that he had uh, rent control. So, you know, I think it was like eight hundred a month. You know, on right on Fifty Fifth Street. Wow. And lots of you know going down to Kenny's Castaways and uh, just staying up late. You know, drinking and writing and and all that. You know, it just started to weigh on me and uh, came, kind of came up with. And of course, Little Brown Jug is what. Well the first song you learn on guitar right it's one of the first ones you know my yeah. little brown jug or whatever it is so i just kind of came up with that title and went with it so yeah. the three of you were were on the contract and and basically put the material together for this record uh who rounded out the studio band who you know how'd you how'd you finish out your your lineup in time to record and and how would you go? How'd you go about that? Was it, again, just well, management and you guys. One of the first things we did was the label put us actually um, James Kotak, God, you know, rest rest in peace, and Jeff Pilson. They came in and did three songs with us. So we started cool. that way. We did a demo. It kind of showed us, like, or at least showed me, what it's like to have a a, a real serious rhythm section you know oh yeah and then and then um we were down at kenny's castaways and our bass player chris was playing with a band called floating boats rest in peace chris too he's he's gone now but um you know we we met him he was younger than us but he was a crazy skateboarding uh you know ball of fire and and good bass player great bass player so we we grabbed him so here we have him now and then we started writing, writing the record. Um, and then we started trying to figure out who we were going to get on drums. And we remembered this guy named Tommy Rich, who we actually opened for Donnie Iris. He was Donnie Iris's drummer. And uh, we remembered him from that first show that, that got us signed. So we gave him a call and there it was. Wow, I haven't heard the name Donnie Iris in a long time, but man, that guy had some great. He was great. He's still doing it. Is he really? Wow. He's, he he's 80, 81 and he's still doing it and he still is his voice is amazing. Yeah. He's he's something. He's wow. something else. I got wow. to hang with him just a little bit uh recently and um 
you know, about a year ago or whatever, just to talk to him a little bit. But he's he's a great guy. I got to go on stage with them one night and play Minnie the Moocher on the harmonica. And and that was that was a high point in my life, too. Wow. More power to him. Hey, man, your point. your voice is uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Dave. Your your voice is. Uh, is great. I just wanted to tell you, you've got a, a really cool uh, kind of greasy you know, Steven Tyler grit with, I can hear it in your speaking voice. I was wondering what your speaking voice was now that I, as soon as I heard you say hello, I was like, Oh, okay. It's, it's a natural, he, you've got a natural uh, sort of uh timbre and as well as grit in your delivery. Um, when did you start? I know all of this is in your bio on your website, uh, isn't it just paulscoweron.com? Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and, you know, you've been, you've been doing this such a long time. You mentioned earlier, I'll tie this in too, that you, uh, not hurt yourself, but you, you, you lost your voice there for a second and you had to figure out how to come back and, and not lose it again. And I understand you know, it wasn't a voice doctor. It was just a coach that you went and saw and you learned a few things about control, I'm sure. But uh, your your voice on the record and, and everyone should just at least to hear you you sing rock and roll should check out the Noisy Mama uh, record uh, because it was might have been your prime. I don't know. My, you, prime, my prime is right now, actually. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm, I'm I, singing I, better now than I've ever sang in my life. I mean, I, fantastic. I'm really, I'm really uh, amazed at that. And you know, again, I I do a project called Leadsmith, which is an Aerosmith Leadsmith band or Aerosmith Led Zeppelin thing, just to keep my voice sharp and, oh, and love strong. Yeah. And I I'm I'm singing two and a half hours of that stuff. You know, probably three times, five times a year we do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, right now, just having great vocal training is, was so much because before that I had no idea what I was doing. I was drinking, you know, drinking on stage and singing Aerosmith and singing Led Zeppelin and then singing Noisy Mom or White Noise and things like, you know, we, we started as a cover band and and then we got original set together and then we started doing our original set and then we started adding lights and we started adding propane flames and we had a four man crew and it just, we built a, we built a rock show before we even got signed. And that's part of the reason I think we got a lot of attention is, and people come to see us, you know, because we just had a, we had a show. Yeah. And you're but based you, out of you, Youngstown, Ohio. Is that right? That's yeah. I live, I live close to Youngstown. My wife and I, we moved around a lot, but uh, we're back here. Um, and, and I'm, I'm, you know, so real close the, to the city. The, the noisy mama was basically born in Youngstown. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So how did um, you, how did you gain attention? how did you get major label attention from Youngstown, Ohio in 1990? And I'm not putting down Youngstown, Ohio, but it's certainly not the center of the music business industry. Well, the beautiful thing about Youngstown is, you know, there's there's many, many great artists that, that left, you know, Phil Kagi. I mean, you know, they they started here. But with us, um, you know, we started as White Noise. Jimmy and Carl, who Jimmy Gamina and Carl Infant, um, they they did some kind of star search thing before they even had a band. Mm. And they met with that's when they met Roger Probert, our manager. Mm. And Roger's the one who kind of got us, you know, they um, started putting putting those guys in those kind of places. They had a different singer before me and they did some demos and stuff like that and started. In fact, Rainbow was one of the, um, you know, bands that they were kind of looking at writing for and stuff like that. And these were they were young then, you know, they were they were in their 20s then. But that's kind of how it started, and it just started to to snowball from there. Uh, they had a, a singer named Bruce Ball, and and he had like a more of a, uh, a heavy metal, high end kind of you know Iron Maiden voice. Yeah. Um, so when I joined, you know, it, it took it in a different direction and, and a different you know songwriting too. So. Yeah. yeah, you're a bit bluesier. Oh yeah. 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 Well, I, 
I grew up on Aerosmith. And before that, when I was a little kid, they called me the Tasmanian Devil. I don't know why, but I would scream or whatever it was when I was a kid. Maybe that's how I got the rasp in my voice. But um, I've had a, my voice has always been there for me. When I lost my voice, I didn't realize it was just, just laryngitis. I thought I was like done for, you know, in the music business. I thought that there was going to be no more singing for me. But once I got my vocal teacher, who I kind of lied my way into because he did not take on rock singers. So he was the, the head of the vocal department at Dana School of Music, which is one of the top music schools in the nation. And it's right here in Youngstown. Um, met up with him, had one lesson. He's like, you're no, you're no lounge singer. And I said, yeah, but you got to give me, you got to give me one lesson at least. So he gave me one and he took me on and he changed my life when it came to singing. Wow. Wow. Bring us, uh, bring us up to this record, Resurrection Road. Tell us, um, when you went into this, what were some of the lessons learned from Noisy Mama, either business-wise or artistically, that helped shape this? Because this is a little bit different than the Noisy Mama stuff. That record, um, when I was when Noisy Mama was done with, um, there's two guys, um, Jim Tatarka and Mike Simon. They had a little studio, and they said, "Hey, you know, come and record a." for free you know they just said they were fans of the band they said that you know it had to be after hours so that record has at least 25 30 people on it it's not a band it's just me going in i i wrote i wrote and demoed everything at my house and then i started recording it and and as as whoever was leaving that day from their session i'd say hey what, what do you do they'd be like oh i play oh come here listen to this and then i throw them back in there and they'd start recording, you know? So we got a lot of things done that way. And I called upon people I knew like Danny Shapiro. He's did all the keyboards on it. He's a phenomenal player around here. Um, different drummers, Tommy Rich, actually my drummer, he, he actually came in and did some of the, some of the playing, but he also mixed it. Um, just really relied on friends and, and, and acquaintances and people that, you know, were out there, uh, we had, I was fresh off a of noisy mama, so I had a little bit of clout left, you know. Yeah. So I took it. So I took it. And I, I'm I'm forever grateful to those guys for for letting me do that. There. Is all of your music available on your website, including the noisy mama record, or is the noisy mama record pretty much impossible to get a hold of? Correct. I mean, I can't I can't uh, I can't sell the noisy mama record on my website. Right. Uh, it's out there. You know, it's actually on YouTube, it, you know, just like the White Noise record is also because the White Noise record's out there. And it's it, it, we did that really, uh, you know, after the Noisy Mama record, because people one thing people that used to come and see us is White Noise. We didn't do any of those songs on our record. So uh -huh. they were like, I think they were a little disappointed in us. Like, what? Why didn't you do all these songs that we know and everything? So in a lot of ways. We did that record just for them so they could hear those songs again. That's uh, there's some good stuff on there. That's uh, that's a pretty hard rocking uh, record. And I wasn't clear on the timeline between the various bands, um, but that's well worth checking out also. And I'm sorry, is that available on your website? No, no. Okay. No, but it is available out there. It's um, if you just Google it or whatever, um, it's out there on, I think, uh, spotify and everything like that so you're you talking think, about the white noise record correct mm -hmm. it's called out of the ashes that was actually another reason we did that was our drummer alan you know he played on that our original drummer he, he was dealing with with uh throat cancer and um he he's he's quite he was quite a an amazing player um he he played you know probably three weeks before he passed away he was still playing drums you know and he was really really dealing with a lot but he re he recorded that and we got carl our bass player from the from the old days and now carl is back in the noisy mama thing with me now so he's you know he, he came full circle and he's right back with it doing it so 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 bring us up to date uh noisy mama is back in a in a new uh, with a new lineup and yeah. where where are you going from here you got some shows lined up you got any recording in the works 
Where we, what's the future? Yeah, we have uh, we have a show on April sixth. Um, it's at the West Side Bowl in um, which you can go on my website paulscarra.com and all that info's on there. It's at the West Side Bowl in Youngstown, and it's like a it's a it's a cool kind of venue. They it's a bowling alley, but they you know it's you know they they tore out some of the lanes and made a stage at the end. So uh, you know a lot of bands play there. Um, I'm taking this one step at a time. I mean, I'm, I'm doing show by show to see how we can make this happen. Um, how many shows we could do a year. Uh, that that's about a thousand seats. So we're going to, we're going to see how we could sell that out and then we'll go from there. Yeah. So yeah. that's, that's April 6th, West side bull in Youngstown, Ohio. Nice. Nice. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear you're giving this another shot um, because I I don't know that a lot of people heard you the first time around, and that's just the nature of the business, and uh, it's certainly not a discredit to the talent of the band or anything. And as Jason mentioned earlier, your voice is uh, y- you've got some pipes, man. It's a real standout when I was listening, and I've 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 heard Noisy Mama in the past, but it's been many years since I've heard the stuff, so I've been revisiting it lately. And as I said, I hear some, I hope you don't mind the comparisons, but for people that may not be familiar, I hear, I hear some Tom Kiefer. I hear some Vicki James Wright from Johnny Crash. I hear Steven Tyler. I hear some Jack Russell. Uh, I don't think anyone would argue those are all great singers. So, and I, I hear a little bit of David Lee Roth too. Uh, oh man. There's you a know, lot that, of, there's a lot of, uh, sort of like, uh, uh, talk sing you know in mm-hmm. your storytelling in between your melody lines so you're singing but then you have with this rough and tumble kind of like little thing you add at the end of the line to give it color and finish out the story of what you really are saying right, right. and uh i feel like you're really really good at that and that's that's a that's an entertainer that's almost like a broadway and a vaudeville attack with you know just good old acdc rock and roll bluesy blues bass heart you know metal stuff so well, you're well I know, you're well I know, that that. I, I know that i'm a total ham when it comes you know i was when i was a kid i was sixth grade i was in oklahoma i, was, I looked out in the crowd i'm like this is what i want to do you know i want to perform for people and 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 i'd like to you know also you know teach younger people i mean i'm going to start doing that too teaching not only voice but performance yeah. How, you know, get them out of their shell and how to, how to, just, yeah. you know, cause people really want to be entertained and they want to have fun and they want to, they want to be a part of, of what you're doing, you know, and that's important. Yeah. I think that there's, you know, the, the way that you can, you know, have you heard of this, this thing called Toastmasters? No. They basically teach you how to give a speech. Oh, okay. They're coaching you on how to give a speech, right? Yeah. Right. Or to how to give a toast at your friend's wedding or how to teach wow. a class or how to uh, command, uh, you know, the attention of of people who are in the room without being a dick, et cetera. Um, gotcha. And I feel like that's a bit of a lost art in rock and roll. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's usually a reason why someone ends up being the fucking front man. You know, right. Um, I mean, Steven Tyler was a was a drummer and they couldn't he couldn't keep his fucking mouth shut. So they just <laughs> handed him the microphone. Are you going to do a better job than me? Fuck. Yeah. Give me, fuck these drums. I'm going to show you how it's done. And they're they're like, OK, I guess we need a new drummer. So well, that's the thing. You know, when the teacher says, would you like to teach the class? Yeah. Well, guess what? Yeah, yeah, you I do. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. Sadly, I can relate. I, I, I've almost gotten into trouble, and then they just finally did let me teach. So uh-huh. the, the, uh, the thing is, is I feel like if it's a girl or a boy or someone who just has a shy personality, that's fine. But there is a way with guys like you, uh, I'll use you as the, as the go-to, uh, who can be an icebreaker. You can teach them how to break the ice enough to fit their personality without them just, oh, man, you need to dress up crazy and wear fake eyelashes. And, you know, right. no, 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 because that's not this person's personality. So teaching them, showing them how to get on the catwalk 
and command their eyes is a thing that you could probably do um, after a few sort of, after you assess how you can go about doing that. Because if you go in all like David Lee Roth and go, no, man, you're doing that all wrong. Woo! You know, they're, they're going to be like, ah, you know, that that's mm-hmm. not how they, so there's a way to do what you want to do. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that that's a great idea. And I really do hope you follow through with some sort of uh, Paul Scourin, uh class of uh, shit talking. <laughs> well, it, it's in the works. It's in the works. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I think you'd be really good at it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I've enjoyed this. This is fantastic. I, I, this is also what keeps this kind of thing alive, you know, because people want to see this. They want to tune in. They want to, you know, know what it was like back then. Cause back then, you know, those scenes from 80 to 90, I mean, that, that was quite a music scene. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we all miss those days and, and times. There was some so much great music came out of there. And I often think it's marginalized, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. And one of the one of the great things about music and one of the reasons I think we all love it is is its ability to connect us to memories. And uh, for a certain for a certain age group, uh, me and I think both of you guys as well, uh that era of music it's not just the music it's the memories associated with it and we were younger and we were wilder and we were having great times and and you'll never forget that and so we we we're always grateful for that for that time period and the music that went with it that provided the soundtrack to a maybe a simpler time in our lives Mm -hmm. um but i think every generation is going to have the music that reminds them of their youth. And for me, uh, a lot of the stuff in the eighties, even though the, the serious critics might take issue with it or downplay it or whatever, you'll never rob me from it, you know, rob it from me because it's, it's that important to me. It just brings back so much great memories. I feel like in our minds, that's very well said, Dave, uh, no surprise. Uh, the, the the addition to that would be the era that Paul mentioned. I like it. 80 to 90 set a fucking standard, mm-hmm. whether yeah. that's just an opinion or not, no, that no one can really argue your opinion, even if it happens to be mine as well. But 80 to 90, just as a chunk of time, set a standard for music for hard rock music, especially. Yeah. Yeah, because big band and jazz and fusion and blah, 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 and whatever. Sure. And and even pop songs. I mean, the Beatles since the 60s and 70s. So whatever uh, I feel like, I mean, and it's you could argue, the argue would be generationally. Right. There could be someone who's, you know, go to is Green Day and that's fine. No crime. Green Day is a great hard rock band. They right. argue that they're a punk band. Now, the interesting thing is about that, if you take a young person who's 22 right now, 23, and when they were a little dude, their favorite band in the world was Green Day. Well, guess what? That and a lot of bands sitting right next to them, that they created a whole revolution mm-hmm. of sorts, sets a fucking standard. Right. So exactly. you, you can't argue with that. 22 year old about what it is we're talking about the bands are just different right and and we no one i don't think anybody will ever ever do what we did between those years those 80s to 90s i mean it was i don't know if it's ever repeatable and whether it should be yeah, well, you got that right. Uh, the the, uh, the the cool thing about something that I just said, and I'm not True. patting myself on the back here, but if you talk to the guys in Green Day, they would probably agree with what we're talking about. They would right. agree that, and it's not going to be, you know, uh, 98 to 2008. It's going to be 80 to 90. They're going to be like, holy shit, yeah, that's the deck. You know, the guys in Green Day are our age. Right. So they're not going to argue with the standard that we talk about. You see my point? That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I understand. It's basically age-specific, and uh, it might have some fray here and there, uh, give and take, but it's about about as close as it would. I think it's close. 
the bottom line is you just can't rob people of their memories. No. Memories are forever and people hold them near and dear to their heart. And whatever music is associated with those memories will always be near and dear to that person's heart. Yeah. And so, yes, it's a generational thing. Some people are going to point to Green Day. We're going to point to Kiss. Our parents would point to Elvis, you know, yeah. and 20 years from now, they'll point to somebody different. But you can't make you can't break that connection between the memories and the music. You can try to deny but it's impossible. It always creeps back in. Yeah, you can pretend it didn't, you know, but... If you're in a group of people that are, like, making fun of the dude wearing a Kiss t-shirt, and you, for whatever reason, want to get in with them and start joining in on, on making fun of the dude wearing a Kiss t-shirt when you've got one underneath the shirt you're wearing under your jacket, <laughs> something's wrong. It's the whole right. saying something's uh, wrong. So it's yeah. the whole saying dance like nobody's watching, you know. So when you're <laughs> right. at, when, when you're at home and uh, yeah. you know you might be out there all hard and acting tough you, and you're you too know. cool for this and you're too cool for that, but you'll <laughs> go home and you'll play air guitar to a poison record. God damn it! it rocks <laughs> like everybody's watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, if is... I see that T-shirt out there, I want a part of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh man, this has been great. We really appreciate Same you spending here. time with us today, and uh, we th we thank you for the music past, and we look forward to the music in the future. And uh, we wish you success with the latest incarnation of Noisy Mama. Uh, folks can find information about Paul and Noisy Mama at paulscourin.com. We should spell that last name for folks: uh, S K O W R O N. Is that correct? Correct. Paul S K O W. Uh oh, I lost it halfway. S-K-O-W-R-O-N. There you go. I can say it. I can't spell it. Scout. And, and, and a special thanks to Mr. Uh, Mr. Unger for, for, for yes. introducing me to you guys. Indeed. Once, a, once yes. again, Paul Unger saves the fucking day. Hey, Paul <laughs> Unger. You know, I have a saying about Paul Unger that, that he blushes when I say it. But you probably don't hear it because he probably is not calling people, telling people that I say this about him. But if Paul Unger, oh, pause. This goes for Metal Dave, too. This goes for Dave right here. If Paul and Dave are a fan of your band, they're the kind of fan that will get in the car, turn on your record, roll down all the windows and scream at you down the while driving down your neighborhood street going, you guys need to fucking hear this. You guys need to buy this. And, and you're, if, if Paul and Dave are fans of your band, I'm talking about Paul Unger, uh, you are a lucky son of a bitch. Good guy. Yeah. Well, Good you man. know, I, I, you know, music excites me. That's no secret. And if I'm excited about something, I want other people to be excited about it. So I will talk about it to anyone who will listen and oftentimes to those who won't, but I won't shut up. <laughs> right on. And where would we be without, without music of any kind, any, you know, whatever it is, there's, there's always some kind of music going on in the background, even if, even if it's nature. Even if it's a bird singing, you know, yeah. there's always some kind of music going on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Paul, it's a pleasure spending time with you today. Thank you for joining us. On behalf of my co-host, Jason McMaster, I'm Metal Dave with our special guest today, Paul Scourin from Noisy Mama on the Talk Louder podcast. <laughs> <laughs>